<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our week in entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week we're getting a quick Botox touch-up and just a few vials of filler, (laughs) packing our hottest swimwear, just a spritz of perfume, and then it's time to depart. All aboard the most glamorous of travel adventures, a luxury yacht. Here we'll lounge in the sunshine, slurp back oysters topped with Iranian caviar, order a bowl of pasta, but not eat it, of course. Ew, carbs. It's just for the gram. (laughs) Then we'll chat with some lovely arms dealers, taunt and mock the poor staff, and generally twirl down a spiral of messy, spectacular hell. Because this week's film is Triangle of Sadness, written and directed by Ruben Ostland, who won a second Palme d'Or at Cannes for this film, Triangle of Sadness tells the story of couple Carl and Yaya, that's Harris Dickinson and Charles B. Dean. He's a model and she's an influencer, and they get a free trip on a luxury yacht as a perk of her job. Once there, things don't quite go as planned. This film asks the question, are the various economic and social structures and hierarchies upon which we've built our societies making us happy? Or are they making us furrow our brows into a triangle of sadness? <laughs> Helen, first impression. Yeah, well, I just saw this this afternoon. I really like how this film opens. We get like somebody interviewing a room of, of male models Yeah. in a jokey way. And I really loved how that scene was playing out. I love the question, is this a grumpy or a happy (laughs) (laughs) brand? Uh, The assumption being grumpy is high fashion and happy is cheap, poor, (laughs) fast fashion. And yeah, I I really liked that scene and I liked the tone of the film right off the bat. I'm with you. I thought that that opening was spectacular. We see all these shirtless male models and they're not necessarily like hunky Adonises. Some of them are lanky, awkward teenager types, the kind 80s man would love casting in his old Dior shows. There's that that hilarious French fashion TV show host. And that game that he kind of gets with them, you know, he focuses in on, on our guy, Harris Dickinson. And he's like, is it Balenciaga? <laughs> or is it H&M? Balenciaga? H&M. And they have to like serious face, smile mm-hmm. face, serious face, smile face. And I was howling in the theater. Yeah, I thought yeah. this was hilarious. It was a really, really great way to open the film. And then as he's like standing there waiting for his casting, and one of the casting directors goes... Mm, could you just relax your triangle of sadness? <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Okay. And then explains what that is. It's just a furrow brow, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, that's the title. We'll talk. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into what it means. But like, yeah, I, lo- I loved the way that this opened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, when this film opens, we're thrown into the world of modeling. And it almost has like a Zoolander quality totally. to it. Obviously yeah. not as far as Zoolander or slapsticky, but it's on that line yeah. um, of becoming like a Zoolander moment. And I think that when you say the title of a film right away and also explain what it is right away to the audience you're basically saying to the audience this film isn't going to be nuanced yeah yes at all like i am telling you what this is and here we go on the roller coaster now wait you didn't think that this was a subtle film sinclair (laughs) it was not a subtle film at all and i think that the film is honest about that right away by telling you that information right off the bat so i think it was a a very interesting way to get right into it Mm -hmm. yeah okay so why don't we get into storytelling um, well, this is done in three parts. So mm-hmm. with storytelling, we could actually go through this in parts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Ki- kind of like Barbarian, actually, which yeah. we just talked about on <laughs> our um, Patreon exclusive episode. It's, yeah. It is essentially like three a film in three parts. 
that goes in directions that aren't you're not expecting. So if you'd like to hear us talk about that, go ahead and subscribe at patreon.com slash talk movie to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the first act is called Carl and Yaya, and it focuses on these two models slash influencers and their relationship. And right away, it starts, the film starts to satirize I guess social norms traditional gender roles and um the patriarchy I guess uh in a scene where they're having this swanky dinner and Carl doesn't want to pay but Yaya assumes he's going to pay and it becomes this whole big thing and I thought it was actually a really interesting conversation and and back and forth between them they're both right and both wrong I think Mm. (laughs) I liked seeing that play out and I liked seeing both of their arguments to who should pay for dinner Mm -hmm. and you know right away you see like okay these aren't going to be likable people (laughs) no (laughs) that's true Ruben Oslin's wife is in fashion photography Mm -hmm. So being in that relationship had exposed him to the fashion world. Mm -hmm. And one thing that he discovered was that men are actually paid a lot less than the women. Oh, yeah. And for a male model, it's actually beneficial to be dating a female model. It's exposure for them. And it actually does advance the man's career. Mm. I mean, usually it's the the opposite. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's really interesting. So he wanted to explore the idea of beauty as a currency yeah and where men actually fit into that as well it goes into this dinner scene where there is a conversation about who is going to pay for the bill carl wants to be equal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yaya even though she makes more money still feels based on these gender norms that Carl should be paying for it just out of chivalry, right? Mm-hmm. I guess. He really does like to look at men mm-hmm. in society and how they have expectations put on them and how they deal with those moments where there is a societal expectation put on them where they actually want to act in the opposite way that's expected. Yes. he, The director and writer explores that and likes to explore that theme in all of his films. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It makes sense. And it is fascinating because fashion is really one of the only industries that we can think of where the discrepancy is the other way around. Yeah. And quite dramatically seriously. so. <laughs> yeah. Like if I was like name five famous male models, mm-hmm. I, well, I, I could, but could you? No. Yeah. No, but you could do five female models in a heartbeat, of course. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, well, get some culture color. Um, but <laughs> yeah, this really is like a balls nailed to the wall satire on all of these types of things. On beauty as currency, on capitalism in general, on the obscenity of wealth, the corrupting influence of power, all of it. I think it's kind of like a companion piece to Parasite. Mm-hmm. I was which, thinking that too. Yeah, yeah, which won Best Picture at the Oscars a couple years ago. They're obviously very different films. Um, But they do have this similar commentary, this philosophy that is like an absolute evisceration on our failed economic systems, whether it's socialism or capitalism, which we have a big debate about in the film, Mm -hmm. or even a more basic bartering system, Mm -hmm. right? Like we see Carl benefit from later in the film, despite not winning at the beginning of the film. Um, It's this movie is trying to get us to reflect on our place in these structures and see how None of them are really working for the many, but just for the few and only Mm -hmm. in specific circumstances. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. And you see that playing out right off the bat in that conversation. Yeah. And just the idea of beauty being somebody's ticket to higher society. And you and I have this conversation all the time, Edison, (laughs) actually. Yeah. And in different forms, but we look at certain beautiful celebrities and we've chatted before and said, like, could that person ever be poor? Right. We've talked about Victoria's Secret models and even like Miranda Kerr. I was looking at her the other day. She made a lot of money being a supermodel. Yeah. That was her ticket, her, you know, beauty. She became a supermodel. Then she married Orlando Bloom. They got divorced and now she's married to the CEO of Snapchat. Yeah. It's like that person, could they ever not be successful looking like that? It's kind of this sad truth when you watch this movie where you're like, you're treated significantly better as a beautiful person. Yes. That's the reality of it in every aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The movie is really taking a hard look at that. How yeah. what we give to beautiful people. And just in terms of the bill scene, there's a lot in there about like gender expectations, but I think that what makes the scene 
have even more depth is looking at it in terms of a couple that has been put together superficially mm-hmm. for career advancement and watching them have an everyday couple conversation <laughs> and not being able to actually communicate and mm-hmm. not being able to deal with real world conversations mm-hmm. and real discussions that couples have to figure out and have. Mm-hmm. And if you can't have those kind of conversations in the beginning of your relationship, chances are it's not going to last. So it's interesting to watch this couple put together as this match to advance, but living in this superficial bubble where they can't really deal with real conversations. And it's interesting because this is actually a conversation that the director had with his wife. Mm. And that's what inspired it. Oh, Mm -hmm. that is interesting because she was earning more than he was. And him trying to struggle to bring up not wanting to pay. Right. Mm. You know? Well, because the expectation certainly is that he would be paying. I mean, of course it is. Yaya has never gone out to dinner and paid. Yeah. We know she hasn't. <laughs> she obviously hasn't. Unless she went out with a girlfriend or something. Like, she says that, and you know, I'm generous. Yeah. I pay for right. my friends sometimes. He's like, yeah, but not with me. And it is interesting. Yeah. And it's a beautifully structured scene as well, because they have actually have him physically in a corner. So mm. the director shot mm. him in a corner back up against the wall. So he's literally and metaphorically back up, mm. backed up against the wall. And she's in the position at the table with the big open space behind her. So there's like little subtleties mm. to the scene that I thought were really effective. I think that there's really smart subtleties in a lot of scenes that work in terms yeah. of storytelling. I, I A lot of people will talk about this film maybe being too long. It was very long. I thought the pacing was great. It worked for me, but I thought that there were creative ways that they tackled the the pacing. And so in that scene, when they're basically all of the scenes when Carl and Yaya are having some type of a confrontation, when they're arguing with one another, I think that the film added these like environmental annoyances that Mm -hmm. help add to the tension in the scene. So in there, when they're in the restaurant, then when they go up to the in the hallway of the hotel she's inside the elevator he's outside the door of the elevator keeps trying to shut and he's Mm -hmm. like ah ah and it's like keeps fucking up with the moment but it's adding this tension and then they're in the back of the taxi and they're driving and the windshield wiper is making this Mm -hmm. god awful screechy sound as it swipes over and it's like this jarring metronome in the middle of their argument yeah it's, it's the real world that's what's the beauty of this it's like a conversation that happens in the real world it's not your idolized couple photo on Instagram even when they're on the deck of the yacht trying to take their idolized couple (laughs) photo on Instagram there's a fly buzzing around interrupting their moment Mm, right when she's flirting with the deck hand or whatever Mm -hmm. it it's there and these are long scenes that are Mm kind of awkward because they're tense but that's another attention to detail in this film that's helping us as the audience get through it because it's just adding an extra dimension yeah I appreciated that I think that this first act actually does set you up to like them a little bit i think it set me up to like him yeah it didn't really set me up to like her though to be honest yeah but i think that she does have some moments in there where you see an actual person Mm -hmm. you know like it or not they kind of are our protagonists that we're following so there Mm -hmm. has to be some element of likability and that's a lot to say about the directing and the actors Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into. But I think that we are set up nicely to move into the second act. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I think so too. So yeah, act two is the yacht. Mm -hmm. So we see Carl and Yaya on this $250 million yacht that we find out they got invited on because she's an influencer. Everybody else on this yacht, every other guest on this yacht is ultra rich. Mm -hmm. And we get a really cool look at the guests and the people operating the ship and how and, you know, what their priorities are. And. I started to feel, and by the end of this movie, just sort of felt like, I just hate all humans, rich or poor. <laughs> I hate them all. Like, there, there's, it was showing, it was revealing the ugly side of, I think, any demographic. Yeah. Ruben Oslid has said that he didn't want it to just be rich, 
people yeah. bad yeah. poor people good yeah and he i definitely wanted, felt that yeah he mm-hmm. wanted it to be he basically said he wanted to poke fun at both mm-hmm. yeah but i think that that even it's it's deeper than that it's that's the bit about the like the corrupting influence of power mm. right i think what was really fascinated me about the boat the yacht mm. seg- segment or the yacht mm-hmm. act of this film um was that it was a kind of microcosm of this world that he's built. Mm. And I think it really highlighted the title for me. So on this boat is very much a triangle of sadness becomes, Mm. but it's these three hierarchies of the wealth, Mm. the idle rich, the workers, and then the poor, Mm. right? The like cheerful workers, the crew people, the ones that that are getting the tips, the ones that are getting (laughs) the tips, and then the ones in the downstairs, in the bowels of the ship who are just cooking, cleaning, slogging away. And, you know, they gave us a title at the very beginning. So I want to talk about the title for a bit. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they describe, you know, the triangle of sadness as this unrelaxed tension in someone's furrowed brow, Right. right? That creates a triangle. But really it's, everything about this it's like carl is a living triangle of sadness he's going through this whole film basically worried and burdened and oppressed by everything around him and constantly frantic and trying to figure it His out male anxieties mm-hmm. <laughs> yes and Coming bouncing through. and bouncing between different positions and sometimes ha- having power like when he gets somebody fired and sometimes not having power and you know having a f- argument with his wife or with his partner about the check and all the rest of it and i think it's also just literally the structures of the film too the dinner at the beginning the yacht the island all this this everything is a trio mm-hmm. right and we have this in all kinds of philosophies in life things about three and it's also us as the audience we're seeing ourselves in these things where do we fit in all of this yeah well i think it's interesting that they used a a boat i think that a yacht because nothing shows class divide like certain modes of transportation (laughs) truly there's nothing that divides people up more than like a communal transportation so putting this on a luxury yacht is interesting because you see the class divide on the yacht, but us as audiences are also looking at this and mm-hmm. being like, I, I've i never been on I'll something I'll never know like that. that. Yeah. yeah. They actually chose a very famous yacht. Mm-hmm. Jackie O's yacht, right? Jackie O's yacht, a yacht used by all these uber-rich elites. Mm-hmm. And yeah. us as audiences have to sit back and watch people on that as well. So it, it does put us in that position of where, where do we fit in in this as well and where well, do you want to fit in yeah right you want to be relaxing there and doing all of that but then you're presented with this like woman this like elderly russian woman who's mm-hmm. rich and grotesque and like making the staff do whatever and you're like god i don't actually want to have a conversation with any of these vile no. people so do i actually want to be there right it's so fucked well and it did make me think i mean we've all worked in the service industry we've all encountered people that think that they're God, right? That will make demands that are completely unreasonable. But because you're in the service industry and you're working for tips, there is that part of you that's like, okay, how much do I take? Like, where do I draw the line? And this is that times a hundred just based off of the wealth and the setting that they're in. Like you can't get away. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a little boat that can come and take you away if you get fired. Yeah, it made me think about that too in my own life and how I have felt frustrated by people that make like really unrealistic mm. unreasonable demands in the service industry because they're rich because mm. they're rich and but it's funny because this movie made me think like you want to have the opinion that having money doesn't make you a better person and it doesn't but there was also a part of me that's like but you kind of can get out of so many things by having money yeah, yeah. like uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's a lot fewer, there are much fewer no's in the world. But mm-hmm. it goes back to the conversation we had last week, last episode right. about tar. Yeah. In a way, we make accommodations for rich people. Right. We make accommodations for beautiful people. Mm-hmm. We make accommodations for talented people, specifically creatively talented people. Mm-hmm. We make accommodations. This is what our society values above all else. Mm-hmm. And I think this film is challenging us to think about what do we value? Mm-hmm. Even like the chef the captain's dinner sequence which we're gonna have oh to get God. into yes is very much a like a grotesquerie of all this yes. stuff that we think we value 
Mm-hmm. Think about those plates, the endless like high cuisine, yeah. the weird yeah. jello looking shit. Yeah. It's them slurping the oysters with caviar yeah. on top. It's so it's like this is the highest that it could possibly be. Right. But the film is saying, mm, jokes on you. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, I think a sad thing too about this movie is that it is satirical and it's a farce and it's completely assur- absurd, but the characters in this movie actually seem like real people. Oh, They're absolutely. Real. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the worst part. They're real. Is look, I, I, I've I don't, met these people. I don't before. need to rant about Knives Out, but to me, <laughs> Knives Out was supposed to be this satirical piece, but nobody felt like a real person to me, and I so I wasn't affected by it. Mm. Where this one, I. Those were real people. Mm-hmm. I've seen those types mm-hmm. of people. Yes. We've all, like you were saying, we've all worked in the service industry. You know, I think that one of the best scenes on the boat is that woman Vera in the hot tub. Mm, with, trying to get. Oh, fuck with yeah. With the, the crew member yeah. saying, you need to get into the hot tub mm-hmm. and experience the hot tub with right. me. And she's saying, no, no, I can't. I'm working. Yeah. And it's a person that feels that they are the above the boundaries of your job and the limits of your job where they just need to make a command and the rules of what you're expected to do at work are out the window. But she she, also thinks she's doing a good thing. Right. That's what's fascinating. I want to give you this gift of allowing you to swim. Yeah. When really it's a complete inconvenience and it's it's kind of humiliating. And it's a power Super humiliating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then she's like, let's switch spots. Let's switch roles. Yeah. I'll play your role. Okay, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hilariously (laughs) blind, right? Yeah. But what happens? She does get in the hot tub because at the end of the day, particularly in this environment, which is where these rich people go, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the the only answer they hear is yes. Mm -hmm. That's it. And the whole crew. The whole crew goes swimming. Of course (laughs) they do. So she actually is above yeah. I know job. that's that's what fucked me up about this movie. I'm like, but it worked. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Do you think if Kim Kardashian was on a yacht and she wanted one of the crew members to go for a swim, that they would say no? Mm-hmm. That crew member's boss would say, "Go for a swim with Kim Kardashian." She's demanding yeah. that you do. Of course, she would. Yeah. yeah, it's a power move. They like to see what the line is and if they can cross it, and yeah. that's that's the truth. And generally, they they can. It's funny when you look at them on this yacht and you look at Carl and Yaya and they are meant to be on this yacht to take these Instagram Mm -hmm. photos. Yeah. But you look at them and you're like, why are they on this yacht with these people? Right. It's kind of funny because it is this merging of new money and old Mm. money. It's saying the company you keep, this generation of influencers are being compared to arms dealers right like they're all Hmm. in and on the same boat Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes you know (laughs) so it's kind of a fuck you to this new culture of influencer money yeah it's like the this is the category of people you're in with but it's also (laughs) showing us the truth of that because arms dealers were always on the same boat yeah the richest people this is why when this is why whenever there's some like dictator or someone goes down and they're like oh but they've got photographs with naomi campbell Mm. it's like yeah well these people you know if you're in if you're wealthy and you and famous or you're traveling and that's aristocratic circle around the whole world like remember when hillary swank got invited to a birthday party and got paid millions of dollars and it was some arms dealer or dictator or human rights you know whatever the hell it was because you're all mingling in the same cesspool Mm -hmm. essentially right um let's get to the captain's dinner let's fucking do it <laughs> this is one of my favorite scenes in film i've seen in a long time it I was loved it. amazing yeah just watching them all vomit <laughs> start to vomit and be sick and watching everybody try to act like it's not happening yes I loved it. I loved how grotesque it was. And they're literally just like rolling around in their own filth. The 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 one shot when it's like back and forth with in Vera the in the bathroom. I know. When she's like literally sliding in her own puke and tr- grabbing onto the toilet as she slides down one side of the... As the like boat tips in the wave and then the other way. It is so brilliant because you are as like a person in the audience... You basically could cheer, eat the rich, eat the rich. Yeah. It's like that is what it's giving you. It's yeah. giving you joy. 
watching yeah. this because right. it's absurd and it's like they all fucking deserve it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it and it plays to the idea of how you know absurd that level of wealth is. Like the dishes that they're getting on this boat in the middle of the ocean, the fact that there's jars of Nutella that are being like helicoptered out to them, <laughs> like that's gross. That <laughs> level of wealth is gross. I you know, know? Yeah. <laughs> squishy and squiggly and jelloey yeah. dinner. Yeah. Disgusting. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just th- to think about what they're eating and then that coming back up is like really disgusting. But you don't, it's like you don't expect the film necessarily to go there and then to really go there. Yeah, like really there's shit all over the wall. Yeah. Like it's, they fuck, it goes all the way there. Yeah. And for like 10 full minutes or 20 yeah. full minutes, that was a long sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I laughed really hard because I I thought, wow, you went full punk rock totally. <laughs> for this second act. And I've ranted about movies for not going for it mm. before. Knives Out, another example, where you can like act like you have a political statement to make, but you never really lean into it at all and you play it safe. And I never enjoy that. So mm. I always re- respect a movie that just decides to go for it and not care. This did that. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) did that. But I think that there is something that we find cathartic about watching the rich elite in a hellish nightmare. And this isn't a new thing. No, of course not. And when I watched this second act, I was like, this guy loves Louis Benwell, Mm. who basically did a ton of movies about like sticking it to the bourgeoisie, Mm -hmm. essentially. That was an inspiration, for sure. But it stems from this feeling of wanting to see bad people having to face themselves Mm. and having to face some sort of consequence. Yeah. And whether it be like just us watching them vomit all over the place, (laughs) we have this this feeling in us that there's something satisfying about that and art is able to do that Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's it i love that that's so powerful because truly what we know is that the super rich rarely suffer any consequence Mm. the truth though is that aside from their own um feeling of being unwell and rolling around in their own puke or whatever they weren't going to suffer any consequence of this either the cleaners were already up there cleaning off the tables they were everyone was already pretending oh it's okay madam oh it's okay Mm -hmm. madam like it was they're literally puking and shitting all over this entire yacht and they were it was all gonna wake up the next day as if nothing happened and everything was okay it was interesting though they didn't really show carl and yaya no suffering through this and i think that it's because this saved that extremity for the like really villainous yes of the yes. film yes. yeah actually it was really interesting because the carl and yaya are our protagonists and they're largely ignored in the second in the middle chunk of the film yeah mm-hmm. it's not really they're they're in and out of it but it's not it's more about the rest of the people on this boat and about yeah. woody harrelson mm-hmm. the the captain and about the russian guy and like all the rest of them they're not yeah. really it you don't That's hate, cool. you don't hate them enough really yeah. to no. see them go through that we yeah. i think that would have been too far where yeah. we were like no but i like harris dickinson because they're yeah. not super rich yeah they're com- they're bickering over a bill yeah. right and i really did love the scene between woody harrelson and dimitri the russian uh fertilizer man oh, yes yeah. and it made it did make me think about oftentimes when i see very wealthy people argue about their right to be very wealthy i think yeah but that's just because you don't know what it's like to not have that you're not suffering therefore you're not going to advocate for people who are suffering it did make me think though like who am i to say that i wouldn't be like that if i was super rich you don't know until you're in that position i really don't think i would be because i haven't grown up that way but it there was something about watching them go head to head with their quotes about Marxism and and capitalism and think they're kind of two sides of the same coin in a sense. Yeah. You know, it, it, it made it, that's why I say this movie made me just feel like every human has the ability to be horrible. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and and good, but I think that that's why this scene works Mm -hmm. is 
because this could have been really eye-rolly and cringy. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, capitalism, uh-huh. socialism, like th- this is a debate that goes on and on and, and whatnot. But I think that what works about this is that it is two people kind of laughing and bonding mm-hmm. over a bonding activity that is drinking. Right. And kind of having fun with it. Yes. And the like ins- they were totally getting along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the inspiration for this is basically Ruben Ostland grew up with a communist mother mm. that was very much part of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. And his brother actually became a very right-winged conservative Hmm. person and his family dinners would be this debate Mm. and he wanted to not take sides necessarily with this just let it you know play out Mm -hmm. and have that experience of people just drinking and debating this issue it's a good way to lead into the next act Mm. because you actually do have these different types of ideologies all coming together right. on this island. Yeah. yeah. Even though Woody Harrelson, I guess he just gets... Yeah, he must just die. The, <laughs> sh- the captain goes die. down with the ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get into the island, the third segment. Yeah. And I think that you're right. That conversation is all about the systems, our economic systems in which we live. And then we... But neither of them, they're both rubbish. They're both just drunk bullshit, right. basically. Yeah. It's just people talking shit, That's really. It. Mm. And then we land on this island where literally there's eight survivors. Uh, all but one are entirely useless. And <laughs> we've got Abigail, who was mm-hmm. one of the cleaners. And she's the only person there who can literally do anything. Mm-hmm. You're stranded on an island. Someone has to fish. Mm-hmm. Someone has to cook. And someone has to build a fire yeah. or you will die. Yeah. The rest of them are all like, Ooh, yeah, nothing. And so she, who was literally cleaning toilets, flips the system on them. She takes control and creates a matriarchy. She mm-hmm. says, I am the one. I'm the captain. I'm the captain. <laughs> Call me captain if you want food. Yeah. Call me captain. And it's brilliant. And we're cheering for her and screaming right. for Abigail. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, yes, rise up. You can do this. Until she gets corrupted by power as well. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the other part of this is it's like these systems, none of them work for the many. Yeah. They might work for one, even on this situation. Is is this the cynical state like of the film? Is it like humans are just bound to do this? It's in human nature to form a hierarchy. Somebody's going to take power and that's what it is. Yeah. That's how I felt at the end. I was like, okay, yeah, it just happens. We're all greedy and we all have self-interests and we want to fulfill them. That idea is probably the most cynical, cynical. out of out of all of them. Totally. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they, they all end up together. And this here, I was like, okay, this is a swept away inspiration. 100%. God, how anybody could be inspired um, by swept away. Okay, but he was inspired by the original one from the 70s. Oh, okay, so fair. not okay, the Madonna okay, okay. one sure. yeah. <laughs> at all. But this was very much swept away. It just ended up working a lot better. But yeah, it's interesting because... On this island here, class isn't being dictated by money and beauty anymore. Mm. It's being dictated by skill. I think that it's interesting that Abigail sees that opportunity and she takes it. And Ruben Austin wanted to highlight OFWs, which are overseas Filipino workers. Uh So he wanted to highlight a very specific type of migrant workers that basically had to come to the U.S. and take working class jobs, like really menial jobs even if they had high education and experience. It's interesting that you don't see Abigail in the first two acts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You only see her in the third act when she is really showing what she can do. Mm -hmm. And it's, I took that as it's meant to show us that that person is invisible to us. Totally. And then when we need them. (laughs) That's right. She's the star of the show. Yeah. And so it's very effective in totally. that way. It's disappointing because she's such a great character that we don't actually see her for mm-hmm. the first two acts, really. But it's impactful to see her in that last act. I think it makes way more sense to have her be completely invisible yeah. for the first two, yeah. two acts, for sure. To It drives that point home. They're the unseen, the unseen laborers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The that's why they were downstairs in the English households. Like they're meant to do and not be seen or heard. <laughs> yeah. And it's just 
it's the truth of this fucking system. Yeah. But I love I love that you said, you know, we're on this island where beauty and whatever, these things don't ha- aren't currency, but they are. Carl mm-hmm. literally benefits. He uses his beauty. Who who was Abigail going to go for? Dimitri? <laughs> no, honey. She's saying, I'm going to take that one. Thank yeah. you. And would I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and it is funny that even in this this situation, Carl is still having to survive <laughs> t- aligning himself with somebody yeah. else. But it <laughs> is an aligning interesting... himself with a powerful woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. But it's an inverse, right? Because this is I love this because at the beginning we have him having that conversation over dinner with Yaya where he's like, I don't like I don't want the the like stereotypical gender roles. I don't want to right. be this typical male that's all of that. And then <laughs> In the end of the film, he's not. The whole system has been inverse. <laughs> he literally subver- hasn't yeah. been the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. T- no, don't, yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting how she becomes tyrannical. Yeah. yeah. You know, and she's like using all these tactics of a dictator, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, she's using fear. She's coercing. She's manipulating. She's giving handouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes her a very interesting villain. Because mm. essentially she has, she becomes a villain, mm-hmm. but there's so much more to her and her backstory that we don't know right. mm-hmm. that's led her to actually making that choice. Yeah, yeah. But is it like everyone is a villain? It Everyone who gets into that position of power to be a ruler, you are inherently a villain? I think that's it. It's like the thing is, okay, sure, you're going to rip down some some controlling power right now. Russia is invading Ukraine, right? Everyone wants to see Putin fuck off. But who someone's going to replace Putin? If yeah. someone if yeah. he leaves tomorrow or dies tomorrow, is yeah. that next person going to be any better? But mm-hmm. Abigail could have taught everybody what she knew. Yeah, but why would she? Well, if you want to have a, a functioning equal exactly. time on but, the island, you would teach everybody these skills so you could work together, but she doesn't. Because mm-hmm. she knew that fundamentally if that was her only card. Yeah. Yeah. And if she taught them how to do it, how to do the things, then she'd be back in the servant position. No more Harris. No more uh, Harris right. in that little lifeboat. Yeah, it's, it is fascinating. So how did we feel about the end of the film? Yeah, I mean, do we think that Abigail kills Yaya? I do. I do. That rock, yeah. Yeah. And I I thought she was going to. Even when Mm. she was like, I'll go with you on that walk, I was like, oh. Yeah, I did too. I thought that. And part of me was like, did she know about that? Did she know about the resort? The resort already. Maybe. And that's why she was like, oh, she's going for a walk. She might discover it. I'll go with you. Why else would she really go with her? Right? Mm. Mm. Well, I thought she, she maybe was trying to make amends or not make amends, but like, Come to an agreement over. Yes, over come Carl. to an agreement. Because yeah. she also said we should sleep together, and I was like, oh, is, it, is she going to go in that direction? <laughs> like, too? Maybe she wants all the power, right? Abigail. Right. Um, but yeah, I think she did. The very, very last shot of Carl running through the mm-hmm. the jungle like that. I thought, okay, he's running in the franticness of. I don't think he's running because he heard something, but he's mm-hmm. running. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe this happened. I'm going to take off running. Yeah, on. yeah. And you do feel bad for Yaya. At that moment. I think Yaya wins you over definitely yes. by the, the third act. Yeah. When she says to Abigail, when we get back to like right. regular our regular lives, like I'll help you. I'll mm-hmm. get you a job. You can work for me. You can be it's like she doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like she just doesn't, doesn't want to be your sister. You can be my and, and you and you believe that she is genuinely saying that because she thinks it's helpful. Yeah. yeah. It's not malicious no. at all. It's not. Yeah. Even when she says, like, are you excited you'll get to see your kids? And Abigail's like, I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just assume I have children. Yeah, and- I don't have time to have kids. I'm working in the fucking basement of a yacht. Yeah. yeah. But that's another thing, too, that kind of tells you what her decision might be because mm. there's no one looking for her. Right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of the character of Yaya, let's talk about performances in Charles B. Dean, who tragically passed away in August, at the end of August. Um, She had a sudden illness and within a day passed away from some sort of lung infection. Super, super sudden. I saw this come up on my social media feed because I have a 
an acquaintance in New York who knew her from South Africa and she'd posted something and I was like, I don't know who this person is. And then kind of discovered yeah. who she was and seeing her in this, it's, I mean, any time someone passes away, obviously it's just, it's sad. It's horrible seeing her in this. I'm like, what a shame because I would have loved to see her do more work. I know she's really good. She was really good. Especially when we get into that third act and we get to see her be vulnerable and soft because just seeing her in Acts 1 and 2, she could be like an Emily Ratajkowski, like... Eh. I thought that's who she was that's, inspired by. I she think looks that's, so much yeah, like totally. her. Yeah, totally. That has to be who yeah. the, I was the like, inspiration they, of they that character. They actually modeled, must yeah. have modeled them after But her, even yeah. in the scene when she comes back to the hotel room after their right, fight, yeah. she was so good in that no, scene. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But we see, especially in that third act, when you see her like just stripped away, it's like, oh, I, I could now see you play... Different a non-influencer yeah. role yeah. like she has all that potential there and it's it's such a shame it's so sad that yeah. dynamic though is why madonna didn't work in swept away <laughs> yes because madonna could not change from being a diva right where mm-hmm. she actually does become a completely different person yeah. and has the vulnerability and is humble enough to portray that lower mm-hmm. class in that third act that's why it works. That's why Madonna didn't work. Right. <laughs> Swept away. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> she was just a diva straight through. Yeah. 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 I thought that Harris Dickinson as Carl was fantastic. Me in too. This. It, it's, a, it's a really showy performance sometimes. And it's kind of all over the place. I just think he's so... Yeah, he's like beautiful. But he's... <laughs> really good Mm -hmm. he's super believable like he gets behind every one of his character's motivations throughout this whole thing you really believe that that person is just fighting for whatever the fuck they can to just get ahead and i i got it yeah i've had such a kind of a roller coaster relationship with harris um (laughs) (laughs) because i've i've watched his filmography out of order Mm. so I first saw him in Where the Crawdads Sang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, this fucking ass. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Such Is he a the douche. bad one or the good yeah, one? Yeah, the bad one. He's the oh, bad okay. one. Chase. The same. Yeah. Um, and then. He has a small part in a Xavier Dolan film where oh. he is a douchebag. Okay. Then I, I watched Triangle of Sadness and I was like, oh, he's so hot and he's <laughs> so sweet and yeah. he's so talented and yeah. I, it's annoying. Yeah. And then he did a movie called Beach Rats, yes. which is his first and he is so vulnerable and so lovely in it mm. and now i'm like completely won over Aww. he's huge <laughs> harris dickinson is going to be like a major 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 thing yeah for sure if this film doesn't like launch him because it it may not be big box office or whatever it's it'll be it's imminent for yeah. sure yeah i think so too i have to shout out zlatko burek yeah as dimitri, dimitri. yeah this guy he great he was so fucking good yeah it, this was like he was the rich russian isil shit guy <laughs> um yeah. I, like he was the standout for me honestly mm-hmm. the swagger the comedy his laugh mm-hmm. the his like absurd self-confidence laying there with his big belly out and just like letting his hot young wife or daughter whatever the fuck like bounce around yeah and he just plays that guy but it's so good i thought to myself watching this because i didn't recognize him from other films i was like is this a real guy exactly like i that's how i felt i was like yeah well because it's such a it's just such a lived-in performance you just believe that that's that person Yeah. yeah 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 i think that in terms of like award season from this film, it's going to be Dolly De Leon. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely going to be like supporting actress mm. conversation, I feel. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously she's only really in the third act, mm-hmm. but it's such a strong <laughs> character and performance that I think she's definitely going to get some recognition. It's a really, um, really strong best supporting actress mm. like yeah. performance and contender yeah it's she also represents like filipino women mm-hmm. yeah. and she's someone who had a mother that actually was one of those migrant workers really? that mm. inspired this and she did it for like 30 years wow she talks about how she like knows that woman and also how the strongest women are like filipino women and mm. they also know how to flirt and get their way and mm 
play the game. Very mm-hmm. resourceful. Mm-hmm. Very resourceful. Yeah. And it's a really cool showcase of that. Mm-hmm. Cool. She was amazing. Yeah. So what's the last word on the triangle of sadness? I really like this movie. I definitely want to watch it again. It was really funny. Like I was laughing a lot and it made me think and it was just the, yeah, a unique film for this year. Yeah. This film, I loved watching this. It is long. Yes. I think that the the length will put off a lot of people, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would cut to be honest. Yeah. I thought every piece really fit (laughs) and I thought that this film was a total standout. I fucking loved this. It's totally original and mm-hmm. fun and absurd. And yeah, just just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I actually got a bit tired by the third act, yeah. to be honest. I was like, oh, okay, I'm really tired. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could go into this island. Like, I was quite, <laughs> yeah. quite exhausted. But yeah, this is definitely a wild ride. I think it's one of the most audacious films of the year. Yeah. And... When a film is like that, it's always worth it mm-hmm. uh, because it really goes for it and has something to say. Yeah, if you've ever worked in the service industry, mm-hmm. there'll be some cathartic moments in totally. this for you to <laughs> enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This episode, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. And that theme is, don't be such a square. This is our week in entertainment. Helen, what'd you pick? Okay, well, I decided to watch a movie from 2020 called Let Them All Talk. Oh. (laughs) Oh, my God. I picked this just for you. Why? Okay. Well. So. Yay. (laughs) Written written by Deborah Eisenberg, directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring Candace Bergen, Diane Wiest, Gemma Chan, Lucas Hedges, and Sinclair's favorite actress, Meryl Streep. Oh. Yikes. So, <laughs> Meryl stars as Alice Hughes, a Pulitzer Prize winning author who is in the process of writing her next novel. Her agent, Karen, played by Gemma Chan, is eager to get any information on the manuscript and is hoping it's a sequel to one of her most acclaimed works. Alice is also receiving the prestigious Footling Prize in the UK and worries that she won't be able to attend because she's unable to fly. Karen suggests she travels there by boat. And Alice agrees only if she can bring her two best friends from college, Roberta, played by Candace Bergen, and Susan, played by Diane Wiest, and her nephew, Tyler, played by Lucas Hedges. On the boat, it becomes clear that there is tension between Roberta and Alice that Roberta seems unwilling to resolve. And unbeknownst to Alice, Karen is all, has also boarded the ship and has clandestinely befriended Tyler to try and gain insight on the elusive manuscript. Miss mm-hmm. Sinclair's asleep. I'm asleep already. <laughs> <laughs> so I had heard about this movie. I'd heard it was like decent. I had this assumption that it was going to be, you know, it's fun. These, yeah. And like it's these three older actresses who are taking a cruise together. And I kind of thought it was going to be like maybe some older women set in their ways that let loose on this cruise. Yeah. Stop being squares. Yeah. It's not really that. Oh. And maybe I'm the square for assuming that that's what this movie would be. <laughs> Just based off of their age, really, which is very ageist of me. But no, this movie is more about friendship and about is it okay to use real life in art. Mm. So basically, Candace Burden's character, Roberta, believes that Alice used the downfall of Roberta's marriage as the premise for her book that was super successful, and she's uh, resentful about that. And asking for that check, honey. Well, exactly. So... (laughs) Because that's what I'd be doing. Can I spoil this? Will you guys watch I'm not it? watching this. No, you can spoil it. <laughs> so it basically does actually come down to that. Like we're seeing this tension the whole time between Roberta and Alice. And then Roberta's confiding in Susan saying, you know, I think this is what she did. Blah, blah, blah. And when they do finally have a conversation at, towards the end of the film, it, it's actually a very wonderful scene. And it's very well acted. And... Of course. Of course. And um, Roberta basically says, listen, if you are writing a sequel to that book and you want to know what has happened in the last 35 years, I will tell you everything for 30%. And Meryl Streep goes, oh, you want to check? This whole time I thought this was about friendship. You you want to check? And she's like, yes, I want to check. 
Fuck yeah. yeah. You're going to profit off my sh- mm-hmm. my life and my story? Cash me that check, honey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then Meryl Streep dies in her sleep that night. So, oh. um, <laughs> yeah. I did not see that one coming. All right. That's a big spoiler. So, I mean, this movie's actually pretty good. Did it's- she amend her will to leave 30% of her future royalties to... So. Wow, really? Yeah. It, happens- it happened very suddenly. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it also sort of goes well with Triangle of Sadness because they're on a boat the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they did actually film this on the Queen Mary 2, which was going from the States to Southampton, New York to Southampton, I believe. And apparently, the like, for the most part, like, they filmed this on the cruise ship with all the other people there. And people pretty much just didn't notice they were shooting a movie. Mm. Wild. It was done with, like, apparently no budget. This is the rumor. Meryl Streep says she was paid a do- uh, a quarter, sorry, for this movie. Oh, yeah. She's just doing it for the art. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apparently, like, there was no lighting set up. Uh, Steven Soderbergh shot the film as well. And they just had some sound equipment. But there was never any sort of, like, lighting. He had a camera on a, a wheelchair. That and how does it look? Around. Oh, it looks great. Huh. So I thought I found that really interesting. So it's a sweet movie. And it's, it is cool to see these three, like, amazing actresses in this mm. film and and you know we do talk a lot about how there aren't these opportunities and yes Meryl gets 99% of them but that there aren't <laughs> these opportunities for you know older actresses and this is one you know where it's these three older actresses and then Lucas Hedges which is really kind of funny and but sweet and it really works um and yeah I enjoyed it Okay, Ooh, that's yeah. fine. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't know at the beginning of that whether there was this was going to be a recommendation or not. I liked it. I oh. had a good time watching oh, it. Oh, shoot. I would probably like it. I mean, give it a watch. It's well, on... you already spoiled it for Sorry. me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Edison, do you want to go next? Okay, hold on. I need to okay. say one thing. Okay. I'm a little nervous because I also did a movie the same year as Edison and oh. I sent him a message and I was like, what's your movie this week? And he's like, I'm not telling. And I was like, okay, well, I might be doing one the same year. So I just want to make sure. And he's like, there is absolutely no way that you and I did the same movie. Okay. No way. So I'm kind of nervous because I'm like, what is this movie where there's absolutely zero chance that we did the same one? Okay. Well, let's see. (laughs) The film that I chose to do came out in 2022, just like yours, Sinclair. (laughs) And it's Downton Abbey, A New Era. Oh, yeah. No. I- <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Like no. I said, trust me. No. No. Yeah, <laughs> so sorry. Is this the second Downton Abbey yes. movie? Yes. Oh. This is the sequel to 2019's feature film. Which okay. Yeah. was, of course, a continuation of the massively successful TV series. Right. Also written by Julian Fellows, who created mm. and wrote the series and the previous film. And directed by Simon Curtis, who directed My Week with Marilyn, which we oh, talked about a couple yes. weeks, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, so so clearly you didn't do this one. No, but <laughs> I chose. So the basic premise of this film, it's following you know the family at Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. right? But at the at the top of the film, we learn that Dame Maggie Smith's character, the Dowager Countess mm-hmm. Violet Grantham, she has she's inherited a villa in the south of France. Oh. That was gifted to her by a man who she met many, many, many years before, who she only spent a very, very short time with and never saw again, but left for her in his will, this glorious villain south of France. Jealous. Yeah. And so the family is, of course, very what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How and who and what and all of the rest of this. And the reason why I chose this for this particular theme besides the fact that I just wanted to watch this movie, is because it actually really fits. Okay. It fits in everything. This series, Downton Abbey, it really has always been about mm. following this one family as they try to adapt to the changing times. And and the theme from the audience and from everyone around them trying to shuffle them kind of always is, don't be such a square. Right. Mm. It's always about evolving in some capacity. And this one, there's basically every character goes through a something that can relate to that core theme they're shooting a movie at Downton Abbey during this it's called The Gambler and it's a silent film and it's actually a kind of a cute little storyline 
because um, the star, they're like the star is coming over from Hollywood, and this is set in 1928. So it's is the very last of the silent films. It's already starting to move into the talkies, and there's this anxiety that they're gonna lose their their jobs. Mm. And then h- halfway through the filming, the studio calls and says, "We're cutting it." We're canceling the shoot. The Aww. the budget's over. We're moving on to talkies, period. And they're like, oh, God, what are we going to do? Lady Mary says, well, why don't you just make it a talkie? Mm. We've got Mosley here who loves writing scripts. And everybody all comes together, of course, to make it actually mm-hmm. happen. But the actress, the star, is like... All right, Yang. Yeah. She's got this. (laughs) Oh, so it's a My Fair Lady moment then. (laughs) Yes, she can't do it. She's like, I tried to learn the accent. I can't. Like, forgive me. (laughs) Not it, obviously. Um, So she's an American trying to do a... No, 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 no. She is a Cockney. Like Cockney? Oh, okay. Yes, English who has spent her whole life trying to learn the dictation to speak like Lady Mary, the aristocrat, does. But has never been able to. And now she's about to lose her employment because she can't move into the talkies Mm. anymore. Mary has to actually provide the voice, the voiceover of it. It continues on like they're all learning because then she does. What actually happens is the mother, Cora, teaches her how to do an American accent. Oh, okay. So that she can adapt that way. Hmm. But anyway, to make a long story short, there's just so much of this, the family moving into the 30s hmm. and like having to come to terms with the the other daughter, Edith, going back to work for the magazine and like reckoning to what happens with the Dowager Countess and all, all of it. I love this movie. <laughs> I love all of it. I love the world. And I, hmm. I just love that they can... I hope that they kind of continue to bring it back. Like, I want 10 years from now for there to be a Downton Abbey during the Second World War Mm. film. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they can kind of do that for as long as these actors are alive. People will come back out to watch it Mm -hmm. and kind of progress through this family as they're navigating all of this Mm -hmm. and coming to terms through the the decades. So that was what I picked. And it was not what you picked, Sinclair. (laughs) So now I'm really curious to hear what you picked to see if it's something that I may have picked. I actually thought that maybe, yeah, I thought there was like a possibility for sure. Um, I actually watched Weird, the Al Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I did, I did consider watching this. Yeah, one. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's directed by Erica Powell, starring Daniel Radcliffe as the man himself, Weird Al. I really wanted to see this at TIFF Midnight Madness, and mm. I didn't get to. So as soon as this was available to watch on Roku. Uh, I watched it. Nice. And I thought it fit the theme really well. Yes. So this... For the record, if this were the one that I picked, I wouldn't have said, I guarantee you yeah. haven't watched it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. being another 90s baby. Yeah. yeah. Quick synopsis. This explores every facet of Yankovic's life from his meteoric rise to fame with early hits like Eat It and Like a Surgeon to his torrid celebrity love affairs and famous depraved lifestyle. So this movie is fabricated. Okay. It's a fake biopic. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a parody. That's brilliant. I didn't yes. know that either. Because <laughs> yeah. he's an executive producer on it or something, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was his actual biopic. Oh, that's No, a, it is not this an actual This is a, an actual Weird Al yeah. biopic. Parody biopic. Yes. It, yes. And of course it is. Yes. Now that I think about it, right? Yeah. So this originally started as a sketch that Funny or Die did in 2010, where they made a trailer for this Weird Al biopic. (laughs) And it was supposed to parody movies like Walk the Line and Ray. Mm. And it actually has Aaron Paul as Weird Al Uh and a bunch of other celebrities. And Weird Al would actually play this trailer at his concerts to the point where fans were like, you need to make this as an actual yeah. movie. So since Bohemian Rhapsody has come out and Rocket Man, Weird Al thought, okay, this is actually the time to do it and yeah. to make it. And they got Daniel Radcliffe to sign on. And Roku, as soon as they heard Daniel Radcliffe was doing it, they actually decided to put money into the movie. Right. I'd be so curious how that how they pitched... Like, how this got to Daniel Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Well, he does weird stuff. He does. He loves it. Yeah. 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 So, basically, 
he's a fan of Weird Al mm. and he's a fan of like parody music. Mm. Daniel Radcliffe is also a reason why I picked this for this theme because he started as Harry Potter. Yeah. And kind of like this nerdy, you know, <laughs> yeah, little yeah. wizard boy. <laughs> and he wanted to branch out into more creative, weird films. Mm. And he wanted to do another movie like Swiss Army Man. Right. So he wanted to explore these these different types of roles, and he thought that playing Weird Al was something that he wanted to do. And I like that, that he's really stepped outside of the box. So basically this starts with Al growing up in this like very traditional household with very traditional parents saying that accordion playing is a sin. <laughs> and... <laughs> They're essentially treating the accordion like like a Christian family would treat a dick. A, a, yeah, I guess a dick, but also I was gonna say heavy metal. Oh, <laughs> but like you know, like heavy metal is the music of the devil. But I mean, don't believe in dicks. But sure, also a dick, maybe I don't know. Um, Don't they call that the skin accordion? Oh, the skin flute. The skin flute, Edison. Not to be confused with the accordion. Oh, my God. So his mom actually finds, like, a Hawaiian shirt, like, (laughs) hidden and tucked away. And she's like, our son is weird. (laughs) You know? Yeah. He actually gets caught at this polka party. And he's, like, brought home by the cops. And he's such a disgrace for being at this polka party and playing the accordion. In real life, Weird Al's dad was nothing like this character at all. He actually had a philosophy that he would always tell Al. He would say the key to success was doing for a living whatever makes you the most happy. Mm -hmm. And he would constantly tell Al that. It's not at all what this movie presents. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because he actually had pretty supportive parents. Right. Yeah. So there are things in this movie that, that do have some truth to it. In the movie, he's basically sold an accordion through a door-to-door salesman, and that is actually how Weird Al got his accordion. It was it was what through a, a door-to-door salesman. Yeah. He was selling accordion angle. lessons or guitar lessons. Think about how many doors you have to go to to door-to-door accordion salesman. Yeah. Bless. So that struggle is real, honey. You got the hustle. Yeah. But apparently his parents decided to go with the accordion because they thought the accordion was going to revolutionize rock, (laughs) which I I thought was really funny. So there are sprinkles of truths to um, this film, but everything is really, really exaggerated. You know, his character ends up becoming like the greatest artist that ever lived. (laughs) Right. And the biggest star in the Mm. music industry. And he's turning down playing with Queen and everybody (laughs) wants him to parody their music. And um, (laughs) there is a whole storyline with Madonna, who's played by Evan Rachel Wood, who's Mm. really, really funny in this. And she's kind of the villain. Mm. because she wants to use Weird Al to further her career. Yes. There is a little bit of truth here. I guess that he did write like a surgeon for Madonna. She asked him to do it. and It was actually her idea. Oh, really? She said, please write a song like a surgeon and parody me. So there is some truth to that. (laughs) Um, this is like the 10th time Madonna's come up in this episode yeah (laughs) I know so much Madonna really Weird Al people did want him to parody their music it was called the the Yankovic effect where he actually would boost of course songs and you aren't really famous until someone makes fun of you Yes. Mm. And yeah. everybody loves a celebrity that can laugh at themselves. Yeah, yeah, true. This movie does also explore themes that I think he did actually deal with in his career. He, you know, in the movie wants to be taken seriously as an artist. He wanted to be able to write original music and have people take that seriously. That is something that's funny in the film, but also rings true. Mm-hmm. So it does give the film a little bit of heart in there as well. I would say that this film is pretty light in terms of comedy. It's not offensive really in any way. It's like has a family friendly for the most part, Mm. kind of like Weird Al's music. Yeah, Mm. Weird Al fans will like this. 
people really loved it at TIFF. It won People's Choice for Midnight Madness oh, yeah. nice. at I TIFF. Love that. Near the end, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is giving a speech as as Weird Al, and he has a really great quote that I think really sums up Weird Al and people's relationship with him. He says, live the life you want to live. Be as weird as you want to be. You will never find true happiness until you can truly accept who you are. Mm-hmm. And in such that. a zany movie, that quote really rings true and mm-hmm. really sums up who he was and what he meant to people as an artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. And I think that most people will enjoy this. Even if you didn't listen to Weird Al mm. growing up, you, it might turn you on to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So yeah, I'm looking forward that. to seeing this for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you're not already a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome um, to become a monthly member and access exclusive episodes. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.